This is a marine fighter jet. And I want, I want to show you the dialogue that took place between the pilot of a jet like this flying in Iraqi airspace close to the Iranian border. And this is how the discussion went between the pilot and the Iranian Air Force. It went like this. Iranian Air Force Defense Radar. Unknown aircraft, you are in Iranian airspace. Identify yourself. The aircraft said, this is a United States aircraft. I am in Iraqi airspace. Iranian Air Force Defense Radar, you are in Iranian airspace. If you do not depart our airspace, we will launch interceptor aircraft. The response, this is United States Marine Corps F.A. 18 fighter. Send them up, I'll wait. <laughs> so we're not going to debate today about warfare in Iraq and Iran and all of that area, but I just want to show you that that's the heart of a warrior, and, and you recognize that because you too are a warrior. See, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are passionate about loving God with your whole heart, and your friends and neighbors in the same way that Jesus loves them, then understand that you are flowing cross-culturally and that you have entered into enemy airspace. The Holy Scriptures are very clear that Satan himself is the prince and the power of the air, and he does not want you in his airspace. Therefore, he will attack he wants your family to fall apart. He wants you to become addicted. He wants you to live in poverty. He wants you to love yourself with your whole heart and be angry at your neighbors because they don't love you with their whole heart. He wants you to fear the loss of living and life if you dare believe what you cannot yet see. And he wants you to become a very reluctant warrior. And if I had to categorize the American church today, I would say it's full of reluctant warriors. So in these next weeks, we're going to go through the Holy Scriptures and find some men and women who are amazing warriors. Warriors in the respect that, that they were not reluctant any longer in the respect that they learned to love God with their whole heart. And they believed in what they could not yet see would come to pass because they believed in the God who had revealed himself to them. And when it came to their opposition and their persecution, they too would say, send them up. I'll wait. Someday I'm going to write a book called The Power of Average. Because I believe that the average person can have an incredible influence on a family, can lead in the marketplace, can impact a community, can change a generation, can, can impact and impart a God intervention into any crisis in any geographical location in the world today. We simply have to get over our reluctance and become obsessed with the fact that we have this creator God 
who makes average become powerful. To do that, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to recognize the battle. I'm not one of those people who finds a demon behind every bush. If you know me, you know that I'm not into that. But I will tell you this, that there is a movement against you. And just turn to the person next to you and just point to them and say, you. You. See, there is a movement against you that wants to discourage you, exhaust you, and personally attack you. So when everything is going wrong, you have got to ask the question, why? What is this? And understand what it is. Several, several years back, it was one of those moments. You ever wake up in the morning and realize you've overslept? You just, you just bolt up and go, oh, I've overslept. You just know it. And then, you, and then you begin to panic and the heart races. And, I, and it was a Sunday morning for me. And I realized I had overslept. And so I, I bolted out of bed, tried to be quiet, not to wake Pam and the kids, because this was when the kids were all home. And, and so I raced, raced in and, and took one of those 2.3-minute showers and just, just deluged, got shampooed, ran out, tried to shave as fast as I could, ran into the closet, grabbed a shirt that I was going to wear and realized that it was wrinkled. And I had to iron it. So I blitzed through the house and went to where the iron used to be. Because in my house, if something stays in one spot too long, it's boring. So we have to move it around. So now it, the ironing board and the iron had moved. I had to hunt that down. I finally found them in some place that shouldn't have been. And so there it was. And so I got the iron board, got it set up, plugged in the iron, realized there was no water in the iron for the steam, went to the, had put the water in, and the, the clock's just ticking, and I know I'm in trouble. So I get back, turn the iron on, put the shirt in, didn't pay attention to the temperature on the iron, and I burned my shirt. By that moment, I, was, I, I wasn't heavenly. And so then, I ran back, got another shirt, put it down, realized now I have to clean off the iron because of all the stuff that's crystallized on the iron. So then I just cleaned that off, tried not to get burnt, burned, went back in, put the clothes back on, rushing to the house and realized that the dog had dumped in the living room. So now I've got to clean up the dog dump. So I'm on my way to church trying to, to settle in, and I'm saying, God, this is such an incredible attack against your servant. And, and, and why is this happening to me? And, and how can I defend myself against this kind of an attack? And I kid you not, as clear as I think that I've ever understood the impressions of God, here's what I heard him say. And I'm expecting some deep, deep understanding of spiritual warfare. I said, God, how can I keep from having this attack? And here's what I heard God say. Iron your shirt the night before. <laughs> you say, did you really hear God? I did. And then I heard a laugh. <laughs> no, I didn't hear the laugh. But See, that's called preparation. Preparation is maturity. Maturity is when warriors prepare themselves. There's so often the things we get into, we think it's a spiritual attack. And in, in honesty, it is the lack of our preparation. You see, I can come to God and say, how come I feel so horribly physically? This must be the enemy attacking me. When I think God wants to say to us, look at all the junk you're eating and you never exercise. You never take a day off and you don't take a, a Sabbath. That is your problem. You're not prepared for warfare. You are draining yourself. You're not prepared. Oh, God, finances are so tough, and how am I going to give to this, and how am I going to take care of that? When in reality, we have charged ourselves up to the limit, and we haven't given him his tithe because he says, if you don't tithe to me, I pull my hands back, and I can't bless you. We're not prepared. 
Oh, God, the relationships are so tough. And God says, well, have you dealt with the unforgiveness you've got? Have you, have you dealt with that? Have you prepared yourself for that? There are those moments that I think God wants to say to us that as a warrior, you've got to have yourself prepared, and it takes hard work. So I, I want to encourage you that if you want to be prepared to fight the things that you will battle in the days to come, that you go to Proverbs the book of Proverbs, that there are 31 chapters. I was listening to Pastor John as he gave a, a wonderful, wonderful message to all the youth that were, were graduating from the academy last Friday night. And one of the things he told them is that he takes a chapter of Proverbs every day and reads it. And if, if, if you've got a month with 31 days, then you read one a day for, for those 31 days. And, and I'm going to tell you, if you go through Proverbs, it's going to teach you how to get prepared. But you say that's a lot of hard work. Yes, it is. And, and the problem with that is that we live in a society now that wants everything instantly. We, we don't want to work towards maturity. And, and, and the thing about maturity, it comes from the word maturing, which means to take time. And so what we'd rather do is we'd rather pray for revival. And see, we've redefined revival. Revival used to be about maturing. Now it's about impartation. If I can go someplace and have God just zap me, then I've got everything I need and I didn't have to work for it. And so we're going to go run from this place to this place to this place to try to get our maturity in one instant dosage. And perhaps the battles that we're facing right now, if we listen carefully when we say God is not rescuing me, maybe what God is saying to us is iron your shirt the night before and you'll be ready. So there are those moments that we begin to understand that we have not prepared ourselves. I've got to tell you that the discussion that many pastors are having in the nation right now and the discussion is this, that in the churches across America, we can only get the congregants of this organism together and, and to gather for maturing maybe two times in a week. We'll get them Sunday morning and maybe a small group, but that's it. And when you start to calculate it, most people are only processing even part maturing in Jesus maybe an hour and a half to two hours a week. And that's a dangerous thing. Because if we're not prepared, we are not going to be able to face what comes our way. So we say, God, is, is it me? Are, are we prepared? And in those moments, he says, you are. And instead, he says, I want you to understand you're under attack. When Pam and I lived in Boise, Idaho, we were starting a new church, and our income was, was very slim, and at times we didn't even get anything. And, but we were able to, because interest rates had dipped so low at that time, we were able to qualify for a low interest rate and and so we went to the bank and did all the paperwork. And in the process, the bank lost the paperwork. They messed up. And they slowed the process down. And one day I got a call and the bank said, the interest rates have now gone up. You no longer qualify. And so I contacted the bank and said, I'm going to report you to the banking commission. And Jesus loves you. <laughs> and so... The president of the bank's call, bank called me back and said, I want to meet with you, and, and the loan officers are going to be there, and, and we want to explain to you why you can't have this loan. And so I was in prayer. I said, God, what are we going to do? We, we need this house. And, and I felt like God said, I want you to understand, you did everything you needed to do in preparation. This is actually an evil-inspired attack against you, that, that there's an influence to make it so that you don't get this loan. And so here's what I'm going to tell you to do. When you go in, don't say a word. This is not your battle. This is mine. So I said, but I've got this really great presentation, God. I'm, I'm, I'm going after them. I'm going to rip them up. And God said, you just be quiet. It's my battle. 
So I went in, I sat down for the first 10 minutes. They both told me why we didn't qualify for this loan and there was nothing they could do about it. And I didn't say anything. I wanted to. And then suddenly the loan officer and the president began to argue with each other and about why and who and and interest rates. And and after about 10 minutes, they stopped and they finally said, here's what we're going to do for you. You're going to do something for me? Yes. We are going to not only give you the loan, we'll give you a loan for this house or any other house you want and an interest rate lower than the bank is offering to anyone. We're going to give that to you. I said, deal. (laughs) Mr. Reisner, you're a hard negotiator. Thank you. I hadn't said a word. What that is is that there is this maturing process that, that we have to go through, a preparation, but there's also this moment called faith. And faith is simply this. It's knowing what God is doing and cooperating with it. It is understanding what he's, he's, he's accomplishing. And you say, I'm aware of that. And so, I, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do that. See, too often there are things happening to us and we settle into the battle and say, this is just a natural, normal thing, and so I just got to put up with it. Do you? Israel thought they had to. There's this great story in the book of Judges, Judges 6, verse 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountains, clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country, and they camped on the land, and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels, and they invaded the land to ravage it. And Midian Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. For the fourth time in the book of Judges, They have sinned against God, Israelites have, and God has had to pull back from them and his protection, his covering over them has been removed. And so these these camel-riding invaders come across the Jordan River into the valley of Jezreel. They set up their camp. They take all the crops that they want, destroying the rest, and all all the animals they want, destroying the rest, and move all the way to Gaza. And Israel had become so accustomed to this and thought it was so normal that they already had places built up into the hills where to go during the harvest so they could hide until they left. They had said, this is normal. I will just deal with it. And they had moved out, not understanding that even in their own sin, God did not want this for them. That even though they deserved it, God did not want this for them. My question for you is this. In the battle you're facing right now, have you become so accustomed to it you just say it's normal, it's life? I was sitting with some friends that I meet with twice a year from all over the United States. We've known each other and gathered together for 20 years now. Jeanette is a worship leader. She and her husband are close friends and they're a worship leader in in a town in Oregon. And Jeanette has gone through some just weird physical things. One time she broke a vase and it sliced a part of her, a ligament in the hand. And she's a worship leader, a pianist. And for, for months she couldn't even use the hand and, and the healing was slow. Another time she, she fell down the steps to the baptistry and got a concussion and had short-term memory loss. 
that, that took a while for her to gain back. Just weird, weird stuff. We're sitting there talking about our lives, and, and, and Mark, who's in, in Washington, D.C., who, for whatever reason God has, has been climbing up in his influence in that capital of the United States, influencing people for Jesus, tying to a very, very strong senator in this country who loves Jesus, and just amazing things are happening. And, and, and now they're saying to Mark, you're going to move up into greater influence, and maybe even you'll be seen on camera, and, and, they're gonna, and the press is going to ask you questions. And you see, Mark is from Prospect, Oregon, a cowboy town a small town. He has no confidence in himself. And he says, I don't know if I can do this. I'm scared to death. I don't know if I can accomplish this. And as he's saying that, suddenly Jeanette turns and says, wait a minute. She said, the voice you're hearing right now is a voice you are familiar with that continually tells you that you should fear. It is a voice that you've heard for many years that says, step back, you can't do this thing. And you must now confront this voice and say, this is not the voice of the Lord. This is the voice of the enemy. And you must now move forward in faith that God's going to take care of you. She says, I understand that fear because I've had these physical things hit me. And she said, just before I came to this meeting, I have been with my cardiologist and my doctors and they have told me that I have severe heart issues. They're not sure how long I will last. I have arteries, major arteries that are clogged. The bottom part of my heart is disintegrating and it it is not pumping very well at all. And I have leaky valves and they don't know what's going to happen to me. And she says, it's frightened to me. And now today I'm telling you, I have said to that voice that says, it's going to happen to you again. I've said to that voice and and I just see it so clearly. She sticks out her finger and she says, no, 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 no. I'm not listening to that voice anymore. And she said to Mark, you've got to say no for God. And she started to prophesy over him. And by that, I mean speaking words that were not just hers, but had to be authored by God's spirit. And Mark begins to weep and Mark never cries. And out of him, there suddenly comes, he said, it's like a hand reached in and began to tear the pressure off of him. He said the night before, he had awakened at four in the morning and felt like someone was sitting on his chest. The pressure was so severe. He said suddenly it was like it was just lifted off. And as we began to pray over him, he said the whole thing lifted. He went back to D.C., an energized warrior, a different man. And that week, Jeanette emailed us and said, I went to my doctors. They ran their tests, and they said, we don't know what happened, but your heart is perfectly fine, and there are no blockages. You are fine. I want to say to you this morning that some of you in this place, and I felt this so strongly, some of you in this place today have been been carrying this thing that this voice keeps saying, you're not going to succeed. You're back at this point again. You're going to run through this. And God's saying, you're a warrior. You're a warrior. You've got to say to that voice, no, because in your conflict, God wants you to know this, that he wants to be seen. Every battle we fight is to reveal Jesus. We often think that we're going to have to do these things ourselves because we don't know who is with us. And listen to what the Scripture says. Judges 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. Not Oprah, but Ophrah. That belonged to Joash to Ebezrite. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. 
The Lord is with you. It's an incredible phrase. See, Gideon has taken some wheat and he's hidden in this, 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 this carved out spot in the stone. He's going he's gonna to try to get some wheat gathered together, enough to keep his family from starving. And an angel shows up and says, God is with you. Check out every promise in the scripture. It'll bring you back to this one spot. God is with you. Even when your sin has created the issue and you've cried out to God and you feel like you have very little left and the opposition is pushing in on you, you've got to hear these words. The Lord is with you. We tell you here that it's really important for you to carve out time every day to read the Holy Scriptures and to meditate on them. Why? Because the Scriptures tell you clearly that it is the breath of God. The breath that breathed upon that which was, was void and empty and suddenly there is light and life and trees and, and, and creation, that's the breath that comes out of the Scripture as you read it. It is the breath that blew in on those people praying on the day of Pentecost and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak words that they had never known before and gave out prophetic words and walked in miracles. That is the breath that is in that scripture when you read it. It is the breath that came upon those dry bones in the valley and took those dry bones and made them a living army. That is what is in the scripture. When you read it, it infiltrates who you are and when you meditate upon it, it takes root in you and when you pray it back, it releases power into the atmosphere. And we need that because our culture is telling us that he is not with us. That he has left us. That he has dropped the ball. This last week at a Los Angeles Dodgers game, take a peek at what happened. Well, you have, you have a father and child saying, I want a foul ball. And dad, oh, here comes the foul ball. What happened to the kid? Oh, my goodness. He lost the kid and the ball. Watch the kid. Get out of here, dad. <laughs> See, now, dad's getting a lecture from security. I think that's good. Look, sir, please do not drop your child. Come on, we'll, we'll get you a ball. Shame on him. And we think that somewhere in our relationship with God, he has dropped that which is precious to him, and he's dropped the ball. And that is why when you take these scriptures and you breathe them in and allow his breath to come inside of you, it takes you back to the very meaning of Yahweh, Jehovah God, which is this, the Lord is with you. That is why Isaiah, the prophet, could declare, call your counsels of war, but they will be worthless. Develop your strategies, but they will not succeed for God is with us. So we get to this spot. If we begin to believe that he is with us, that he says, I want you to pick up your sword. And I want you to exchange your weakness for strength. Do you see what that angel said? He said, mighty warrior. It is a word that is only used for those in the army. It'd be like me walking up to you and saying, hey, Navy SEAL, how you doing, dude? And so Gideon decides that, that, that this is not applying to him. He says, hey, look, my clan is below average, and my family is below that average, and I'm below average in my family. I got nothing. I'm just average. 
And the angel responds this way. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have, just what you've got, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Why? Am I not sending you? He realizes that this angel is more than just an angel. This is actually the Lord Jesus. And he makes it very clear that with God, average strength is enough. See, I used to think that if God's going to come on me with power, that I'm going to have to really feel it and, and, and feel just powerful. He said, no, 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 just go the way you are because I'm with you. Your average strength is enough to get you where you need to go. You've got to do this thing. Now, it's amazing what he does after that. He says, now I'm getting an idea that you are God and this thing's going to work, but I want to make sure. So he says, I want to bring you an expression of worship, an offering. So he goes and he takes the stuff that he's been preparing for his family and he takes the best that he has and he puts together this worshipful package, this, this offering, and he takes the best that he has and he brings a meal to this angel of the Lord, which is the Lord himself. And the Lord himself takes the staff that he's been carrying and he touches that rock where the offering has been, been placed and suddenly the rock turns on fire and consumes everything and the angel disappears. And Gideon says, oh, okay, I, I think I got it now. This is the Lord. One of the strategic steps we must not miss is when we're trying to, to really decide, did God call me to do this, and am I going to be able to move ahead? We've got to understand he's with us, and then we've really got to get that confirmation. And so what I want to encourage you to do is this. Bring your best to God in worship until you are convinced. Take the best you have, the best service, the best offerings, your tithes, your first fruits, your best worship expression, and you come to God and you stand before him in worship until you hear him say, gotcha, I'm with you. Then you're convinced. See, I will never get this whole thing that if we really think that we're coming before God and he's going to to speak to us, why we come to a gathering like this once every four weeks. If we're expecting God, I think we wouldn't be able to hold the people that would come here every day. That's why we encourage you to be here every Sunday because God is going to say something to you in this worship gathering that will convince you that you are a warrior and you can move ahead. He will affirm and confirm in you. You take this worship expression and he confirms, and in addition to that, he sets you up for the very next thing that you're going to have to do, which is this, remove everything not revealing Jesus. See, Mr. Average, Mr. Gideon, was still upset and afraid, but what we discover here is that his faith is now stronger than his fear. Because when you have faith, it doesn't mean you're still not afraid, but it means your faith says, but it's going to work. And the way that comes about is by getting rid of our old gods and listen to what he's told to do. Judges 6, 25. That night this happened, God said to him, Take your father's best seven-year-old bull, the prime one. Tear down the father's Baal altar. That, that Baal altar is, a, is, is, is worship of a god of, of lightning and thunder and fire. And chop down the Asherah fertility pole beside it. Asherah is a, is a goddess of fertility and sensuality and Baal's girlfriend. And then build an altar to God, your God, on top of this hill. Get rid of those altars and build an altar to God. Take the prime bull and present it as a whole burnt offering using firewood from the Asherah pole that you cut down. 
Gideon selected 10 men from his servants and did exactly what God had told him, but because of his family and the people in the neighborhood, he was afraid to do it openly, so he did it at night. And you know, that's okay. There is that moment that God says, I want you to move out and show that you are walking with me and you're going to do this publicly because they're going to know you're going to do it. And you say, but I'm not sure. And you get a little hidden, but he says, okay, but still move out, still do it. Baal was the god of fire. And Gideon had just seen God ignite the rock. Is this God saying, let's see Baal do that? And Gideon says, okay, I'm going to be a warrior. And a warrior has a warrior lifestyle. And that lifestyle is simply this, a discipline of obedience. Jesus calls it this, walking the narrow path. There is this path, he said, following me, you'll have to walk. All around you are other options that people are enjoying, but you can't do that if you're going to be a warrior. I'm going to tell you that if you go to boot camp, Marine boot camp, Jim, you've been there. Did you get to do what you wanted to do? You had a lifestyle you had to live. Yeah, but then you're a Marine. And Marines know Marines, and, and, and Marines stand out. You know Marines when you see Marines. If you're a warrior of Jesus, people are going to know you're a warrior of Jesus. You are not made to blend in. You are made to be one who walks a narrow path because it is the thing that you need to do because everything outside that path will diminish who you are supposed to be. Everything outside the path that Jesus has created for us, he called it a narrow path, are those things that will tell you, first of all, that you really don't need God or what what they have is better than God or that God is not with you. They will distract you from your preparation. They will tell you that God is not going to intervene. You won't be able to hear what God's saying because you'll be so distracted with the other stuff around you. They will be the things that offend God and poison you. And so we say, I want you to walk this very narrow path, not what feels good, but what is right. So I I can't be any more straightforward than this, so let me just lay it out this way because this is the way that Jesus laid it out. If you're going to walk with Jesus as a warrior, you've got to walk the warrior path. And the warrior path is simply this. You can't have sex outside of marriage. You can't have friends with benefits. You can't have oral sex. You can't, none of that. And everything in our culture tells us it's okay. And you say, yeah, well, just, you know, lighten up, dude. I just love the fact that Lady Gaga last week said anybody who doesn't believe in her lifestyle is a bully. Oh, excuse me. I'd like to say anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus' lifestyle is a fool. And the bottom line is, it's not that the people who walk a narrow lifestyle are unloving. In fact, more than that, Jesus walked the most narrow lifestyle and he was the most loving. And so those who walk the lifestyle are actually prepared to love better than those who are broad in their approach in life. So you you can't do that. You, You can't live a life of, of sexuality outside of marriage. You, you can't party and get drunk. And Paul the Apostle said, you, can be drunk. you can't be drunk with wine. You can't do that. You can't, you can't be that way. You can't, sex, you, can't, you can't flirt with somebody outside of, of, of your marriage. You can't, you can't flirt with someone who is married. You can't do that stuff. It's not, it's not allowable. You can't gossip. You can't slander. And, I, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, just, I'm scared to death for some of you in this congregation because I know you slander. I've heard your words. You've talked against me and other people. 
You talk about other people, and, and even if it's the truth, it's cutting into them, and sometimes it's just a made-up rumor that I can't even figure out where it came from. And if you're going to walk this narrow path and be prepared for what God has for you, you've got to stop. You can't go there. You can't ignore the poor. He said, those who, who really are the people who know godly religion are those who take care of the orphans and the widows. You've got to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. Bottom line is, he said to Gideon, go to those sin places and wipe them out. Because when you do that, while you are obeying, God is designing victory. See, while we're obeying, he's, he's working in the realm of your opponents and he's fracturing their resistance. The Midianites invaded again and it said that the Holy Spirit came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet to gather them all together, all the warriors. Because there's this amazing thing, I want you to hear me clearly, there's an amazing thing that when you find someone who walks in love in a narrow path and the Spirit of God comes on them, people want to be around them. 32,000 warriors showed up. The odds are still four to one. And God says, too many people. You'll get egotistical. So tell all those people who are afraid to go home. Two-thirds go home. There's 10,000 left. God says, now, there's still too many. Some of us in this church were at a, a tour of Israel last year, and and we've been to that brook. We've been to that place where they, they knelt down to drink. He said, take them and get a, let them get a drink. And so they did. And, and some put their faces down in the waters and others cupped the water in. And, and God said, okay, now the ones who cupped the water, keep them. 300. 9,700 left. He said, send them away. And you say, well, that's because those were the greatest warriors. They cupped. Say, well, I've got to tell you that that is just assumption in fact, probably not even true. It wasn't because they were the greatest warriors. God just said, eh, we'll just take those and I'm still going to show you what I'm going to do. They're just, they're just, they're, they're there and so that's the number I need. We'll go with 300. Because here's what the passage says. Judges 7, 8. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents but kept, circle that word kept, the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. That word kept actually means to hold fast. Gideon was holding fast to them because 9,700 were walking out. What do you think the other 300 were thinking? Uh, We're going now. We're going to go with these folks because they're down to 1% of their fighting force. And and, And somehow Gideon holds on to these. Now Gideon is frightened. And God says, go down and see what I've been doing while you've been obeying. He sneaks down with his armor bearer into the camp of the Midianites in the evening and hears them talking and one soldier saying, I had this dream, this huge big barley loaf, this round barley loaf came rolling down into the camp and squashed a tent. And the other one said, my goodness, that could only be Gideon and his army. They're going to squash us and everybody in the camp. And Gideon said, okay, I got it. This works. I want to tell you that in those moments you say, how's this going to work? How's God going to do this? While you're concerned about that, God is where the enemy is and he is already fracturing their resistance. 
He's already taken care of that. Today, as you look at that, that, that thing that you're, you're, you're facing that's just pressing in on you, look at it and realize that God is already there removing the resistance as you obey what he's told you to do. So Gideon comes back and he gives each man a torch, a clay jar to put over it so the light can't be seen, and a trumpet. He splits them up into three companies and sets them up three sides. And somewhere between 10 at night and midnight, he gives a signal. And everybody cracks open those clay pots. Now, you ever been in the still of the night and you hear a noise? This, this last week, Pam and I were in bed and suddenly there was a noise like something hit the house and it freaked us out. I got up and looked at all over. I, I looked everywhere. I, my heart was racing for an hour. I couldn't go back to sleep because I thought, what is it? What's, what's the noise? Can you imagine that you're all asleep and the, and the crickets are doing their thing and, and, and the night noises and suddenly echoing through the valley, you hear the crashing of clay pots echoing through the sound. It, it's got to freak them out. They look up and they see coming down the mountain lanterns, lights, torches, understanding that in the military usage in those days, it was the lead person of a column of soldiers leading with the torch. They're thinking, look at, look at all those torches. Think of all the men that are with those torches. And when it comes to trumpets, only the leaders blow the trumpets for the companies to give them direction. So when you hear 300 trumpets going off at the same time, that means a massive army is moving in on you. And immediately they were demoralized. Immediately they began to fight, thinking the other people were the enemy coming in the camp. And then they tried to rush out toward the Jordan River, and Gideon then called for reinforcements and annihilated the enemy. Not bad for an average guy. So I want to recommend to us that we've sat long enough trying to peacefully coexist with a culture that has tried to distort Jesus' love in his presence. We are not made to blend in. We are made to be warriors. It's time to reveal Jesus and invite people on the journey with him. It's time to walk a narrow road. You say, but if I walk that, then people won't like me. Jesus walked a narrow road and they clamored to see him. Yeah, but it's not loving. Yes, you walk with your arms wide open, full of love, but you walk this narrow road, and then you invest in other people, and you invite them to walk with you and watch what you do. It is time for us to go defend the defenseless. It's time for us to go where, where evil has penetrated people's lives and try to destroy them and stand with them and guard them and guide them and heal them. That's what God's called us to do. And when we do the enemy will say, you've invaded my airspace. And I'm sending my people after you. And because we are so full of God's spirit and because we've walked this path and we are prepared, we can say, send them up. We'll wait. I want to invite you in these weeks to come as we talk about these warriors to do something for me. I think warriors fight better when they know there's other warriors and help each other. There's an email address I want you to, to write to me. It's called warrior at eriefirst.org. It's on your notes. I just want you to email me and say, yeah, I'm, I'm a warrior, and, and, and I want to meet some other people who are warriors, or just pray for me, or, or I'm struggling in this respect and getting prepared or, or, or getting rid of, of that, that evil that's in my life, and I'll respond to you. 
But I want to know who the warriors are. And I want us to collect together and fight together against a culture that's trying to destroy what Jesus wants to do. Because you're warriors. And I want you to, to write to, to me and to us here to tell us that, that here's my declaration or here are my questions. I want to hear from you. And let's achieve what God has designed for us to do. Would you stand? You've been very patient this morning, and I was going to ask you to respond around the altar, but I know many of you have got places you've got to go, so here's what I'm going to ask you to do during the day today. I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. First of all, if you are dealing with this whole thing of, of the voice saying to you that you're not going to make it, but Jesus is with you, would you get with somebody today and say, I want you to hear me say no to this voice because I want you to join with me. And just say, I'm saying no to this thing. I'm saying no, no, no. Don't do it alone. Do it with somebody. Secondly, sometime in your prayer time today, even if, you, if it's when you go to sleep at night, I want you just to say to Jesus, do I have any bales or Asherah poles that are not down? Do I have a sin place that I need to get rid of because it's, it's destroying my relationship with you? Because if you'll get rid of it, it gives God opportunity to go into the enemy's camp and prepare them for their destruction. Please do that today. Now, may you discover through this day the awesomeness of the Holy Spirit as he surrounds you and empowers you. May you see the opportunity for you to war on God's behalf and to rescue people. And may you walk a narrow path that actually is an invitation for others to come to know Jesus. And may you find great security and strength in doing so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.